You're listening to Tech Versus Media with Richard Walpert. Today we're going to be talking about music, the physical good transformation to digital goods and where the future of it is going. We're also going to ask, what was it like to be with Mick Jagger in the early days of the internet in a hotel room talking about the internet? How do you manage an artist like Trent Reznor and help him into the future? How did he come up with the name Lollapalooza and where the heck did that come from? And what is the creator economy? Who's involved? How's it going to work? Who's going to make money? This is Tech versus Media. The following program is brought to you in living color. We have a big show for you tonight. But there's one more little thing. Today, Apple is... Hey, it's time for another episode of Tech versus Media. We're coming to you live from the Kirkco Studios in Malibu on an amazingly beautiful day. I'm your host, Richard Walpert. I've been in both the tech and media industries for the last 36 years. I started my career at Apple on the original Mac software team. I've done four startups. I've been a venture capitalist for 16 years, investing in over 100 companies. Today, I'm very happy and interested and excited to have a good friend, and also super good guy and amazingly successful in the music industry, Mark Geiger, founded Lollapalooza with two partners, founded a company called Artist Direct over 20 years ago that was about direct tickets, merchandise, etc. to the artist. He served for most of the last 20 years as worldwide head of music for William Morris and then William Morris Endeavor when those two companies merged. He's now the founder of Save Live. And for the last 20 years, if you look at the Billboard's most important people in music, he's usually in that top 10, 20 plus years running. And I would say, honestly, one of my close friends, and just for those of you that don't know Hollywood or entertainment, everybody says everybody's a good friend. If you have been sitting next to them at a gala where it's a fundraiser and you didn't even talk to them, you say, yeah, I'm a good friend. But Mark is truly a good friend. So thank you, Mark, for being here today. I really appreciate it. Hi, glad to be here. We always start with something called Rapid Fire 10. So first question, who is the artist you've enjoyed working with the most over your career? Trent Reznor. And why? He's brilliant and manages the line of credibility and art and future and vision better than others. Others were Prince, and then I would admire David Bowie for similar things, and that's Trent I've been the closest to who is like that. Hollywood Hills or Life at the Beach? Both. Is it more important to have the right idea or have the right timing? Young me, right idea, older me, timing, but you can't not have the right idea. Who has a bigger paying audience for music five years from today, Spotify or Apple Music? Spotify, but watch out for YouTube, they're coming up. In your opinion, who or what company or what technology has had the most impact on the artist side of the music over the last 10 plus years? The real answer is that's just starting. The answer of the last 10 years would be all of the streamers who started to get scaled because that's the base layer of the house. Will podcasts continue to gain momentum over the next two to three years? Or have they peaked? They're definitely going to grow. They definitely haven't peaked. It's chaos and it's going to get more organized. And there will be an easier path for the consumer to follow. It's going to diversify, so it's only going to grow. Who is more music-focused over the next two to four years, TikTok, Instagram, or YouTube? It's a race between TikTok and YouTube is the answer. True or false, the name Lollapalooza came from watching a Three Stooges episode. True. Perry watched it, though, not me. Okay. 
live music fully back in business this year or next? I think it feels to me like it's going to be a little messy this year. Regardless, it's going to be a lot of variants, no pun intended, from state to state, forgetting the variants, city to city, country to country. It's not an easy on-ramp. So you actually made a bunch of chatter happen a year ago this month, July of 2020. Bob Lefsitz interviewed you, and you said a year ago you didn't expect the music market to come back till Q1 of 2022. Do you still think that? Do you think it depends on country? It depends on what open is. And what I say always is regardless of when the market fully opens or over what time and what, however it works, it will be robust. It'll be really healthy. It'll advance. But I think it's going to be really healthy. I think the whole world is missing a lot of things, you know, for getting the really disrupted people and what, what everybody's doing. But it's certainly making everybody miss what they had before. And probably the world will take a lot less things for granted. And I think entertainment and live entertainment and live music is pretty much for a lot of people at the top of the list of things they miss. So that's, you know, I do for sure. Yeah. So I think that's the bet for everybody in the industry. Let's talk about when it's fully open, whenever that is. Like it's full go, stadiums, venues worldwide. Do you think, based on your comment about it, it'll be like roaring 20s? Will that next 12 months be bigger than it was in 2019? I think globalization was happening pre-pandemic. And so there was a lot more adoption of streaming services. There was a lot more technology adoption, obviously the Zooms and the data. So I cashless registrations, you know, a lot of things that make the economy go bigger and better. So I think it, it will be better from a lot of standpoints. Satya Nadella, I think mid last year, CEO of Microsoft, said he was expecting a five to seven year acceleration of what was going to happen in one year on the tech side. There's all these startups now that are, we will stream concerts from the artist's home. We will stream from a studio that the artist comes to. None of them are huge. I think my opinion, just as an observer, you know it better. The artists, agents, they're experimenting with it. Do you think this sticks or do you think once the world completely opens up, this is a small niche, these streaming services, and people just want to go to live shows? Or is there a convergence of the two? There is going to be some demand. People have to remember this started a long time ago and wiring a club or broadcasting, webcasting, netcasting, whatever you call it, has been going on for a long time. There's been multiple failed attempts at presenting the live set over IP and streaming it. Currently, a lot of this has been free or people are attempting pay-per-view. I never thought pay-per-view was the model. They had free on television before. They had the best artists in the world playing big shows and nobody watched. So it's part of the artist's store. I think the real big play isn't the linear performance of a 90-minute set live. It's streaming more like Twitch or other platforms where the connection to their core fans is they're on camera two hours a day. They're on, you know, the performance is a commodity. You do it once, what's the second, what's the third, what's the fourth? And I do think, though, that there will be some big companies that'll have, whether it's YouTube or Live Nation or Facebook or whoever does it, Spotify, I do think that will be bigger than the live performance. Then you will have live performances all the time, but I think it might be advertising supported. That's the answer. So this, I think I'm allowed to say, because I read this, it's a quote from you. Uh-oh. You think that, What's going to happen over the next few years will freak out 
a lot of the existing artists. They might not be comfortable. You talked about Twitch and Cameo, and I think you talked about messaging becoming a monetization thing, access to somebody's Instagram or possibly their WhatsApp phone number is a VIP experience. So who's going to be freaked out and why and who's not? So the word freak out's a little strong, but I think what I was saying is the next era that I thought was happening a long time ago, thus the timing mistake. Sure. Lots of people are writing about it, and they're calling it the creator's era. Some people are calling it artists direct, ironically. You were right. Well, I don't know if that's the case. Right? See, you already asked me what right was. I wasn't right. That was 20 years ago. 25. You, uh, there's okay, timing wait, wait. and there's right. Right. You well, were that, right. Uh, whatever. Okay. That being said, I think it's going to happen. I think it's already happening. In order to do it, it's technical. It's CRM. It's managing a fan base. It's managing a store. The store is now access, communication, physical products, digital products, tickets, music, streaming. That's complicated by itself, let alone how to price it, let alone how to deliver it, let alone what tools, let alone metrics. These aren't businesses. These are artists. <laughs> by the way, then should I be on the blockchain? How do I use an NFT? With that, 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 that. Which operating system? How am I doing this? Do a user database? How do I communicate with them? Having done it and being a student of it, as you know, and a fan, it's really complicated. It's like medicine. If you're really studying it and you're into it, you can use it. You can be a pioneer. You can manage your audience. You can save money. There's a lot of things you can do. But ultimately, the contents, the art's got to be great. The music's got to be great. And I don't know if it's good for artists to focus on being CRM versus being artists. So I think it may take a little longer until it's simplified. And, and I think it's ultimately a service business to an extent, mm -hmm. but it's coming. Okay. So getting back to what's happening in music today. You call this the post-Spotify era is coming. Mm -hmm. Do you think that means Spotify is at its peak and is going to lose? What do you mean when you say we're at the post-Spotify era? It's not about Spotify losing at all. In fact, they have a huge opportunity to win, and they're still growing. They're booming. They just did huge over the pandemic. So no, post-Spotify is what I was referring to before. I think the creator's era was dependent on a base layer like House is dependent on a foundation. And streaming music and getting the business model right and the scale and the technology and the preferences and all the things that make a streaming service good, like Spotify, was the base layer. So it's now lots of people are doing it. Tidal as a good service and Apple Music as a good service. YouTube as a service is growing. And so I call it post-Spotify because they're the big giant of this era, like you would say post-Netflix in movies. And it's on to the next set of tools. So it's like building the house on top of the foundation. So the creator services and all the things in the deck you referenced can now be built on top of streaming. They have to have the rights. They have to have the ability. YouTube's a fundamental piece of that too. So you could have called it the post-YouTube, but, but it's the only thing they're going to do. Look what Spotify did in podcast, right? They jumped into it and they're, they're big in it. Absolutely. So uh, as you know, as a fellow tech head, big platforms migrate or don't. And if they typically don't, they're not that successful. They don't last. They die, right? It's value passes through you quickly on the internet. And Usually a very slow, painful death. Depends how big you get. Yes. There's many fast deaths that you remember, and I remember like mine. But I think we'll see how everybody navigates. It's going to be the genius of all the CEOs, whether it's a Satya Nadella or a guy that's replacing Jeff Bezos and see how they drive the car. You know, Apple's a perfect example of, I think a lot of people doubted Tim Cook. You know, it's, I think, a lot of twists and turns on the way to what I always think about is what, what would be the perfect market for a consumer. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll explore what would you do if you found yourself in a room with Mick Jagger 
Mark found himself in that situation, and we're going to hear all about it. I often say on my show, I'm having discussions with the people that you know and the people that you should know. The same can be true of a law firm. One law firm you should know about, an LA-based law firm, is Stubbs Alderton Markley's. I've known Scott Alderton for almost 20 years, and I've used his firm for not only my personal work, but for HelloTech and other companies that I've been involved with. They specialize in technology and media, the topics that we discuss in the show. If you're looking for a law firm that will pay attention to you at a reasonable price, please reach out to Stubbs Alderton. You can send Scott an email. It's salderton at stubbsalderton.com. And if you need help spelling that email address, just go to the show notes for today's episode. There'll be a direct link you can click on to email Scott. I highly recommend Stubbs Alderton Markley's. One of my favorite sayings is, show me you love me, don't tell me you love me. And what I mean by that is words are easy, but action is hard. And if you want to show true impact and intent, action is important. One of the firms I'm very proud to be associated with, a venture capital firm called A-Crew Capital, A-C-R-E-W Capital.com, was founded by five people, only one of which was a white male, which is extremely rare in the venture capital industry. They are extremely focused on backing female CEOs, people of color, transgender. They put their words into action. And if you're interested in working with a VC firm that's truly focused on diversity and shows it with their action, not just their words, I highly recommend A-Crew Capital. Again, that's A-C-R-E-W Capital.com. All right, we're back with Mark. I want to ask you about one of the things that seems to be super hot technology right now, NFTs. I know what it stands for, non-fungible token. Not a great name, right? My wife thinks that sounds like a venereal disease or something. Mm -hmm. How do you see NFTs factoring into the music industry at all? I think the idea of a decentralized mini operating system that can, one of the things it does is protect digital art, okay? That can have rules and different functions is a great thing. I think that would have been called Wave 1.0 on your phone, an app. So it's a pretty bad way to introduce something because if they called it an app, nobody would be scared. The LeBron, the Beeple, that feels like a very early use of what an NFT does, right? And as everybody read, it can do other things because when it writes to the blockchain, it says, hey, if I resell it, I can find out who bought it, how much they made. I can return part of it to the owner or the creator. So that's the first two functions, like a computer's first two functions were the spreadsheet and word processing. So I kind of think that's where we're at in terms of the stage and the intro. I do think that if it's properly developed, that the NFT will be like a living boarding pass in your wallet. So if you've ever traveled and you've had a digital, I know, but I'm (laughs) speaking to your audience. Sure. Um, If they've had a a non-paper boarding pass and it was alive and it updates and it updates the flight time and the gate, and then it says, hey, if you want a Starbucks, we'll bring it to you. That's an example of how an NFT is going to operate. It's going to be a living boarding pass. In the digital world. That's right. On your phone. It could be a ticket. It can be a certificate of authenticity and a lock like it is for the art. I think it's going to be able to be almost anything. It could be a shopping cart. 
I think you'll be able to transfer funds. You, a lot of things will happen inside NFT. And then they have a lightweight NFT they're calling a social token. It's what I call, NFT is like an iPhone, and people think it's a token because it's called the token. It's really an iPhone in your iPhone. Sure. And a social token feels more like an iPod. has limited functionality. I see. The baby version. Yes. The pre-version in a way. Yeah, say it iPod, might have the music, but... might have this, but maybe not living and it's meant to share, right? It's meant to give around. So my short answer is these are early possibilities. Like, and I already made the mistake about being early on all the possibilities. But it could be a decentralized way for people to do commerce and connect to their audiences. And it's up to the platforms to beat them to it. So they make their platforms the way to the audience, just like there's in fintech, right? How important is blockchain as the underlying technology for NFTs and other things? Does it not matter to the consumer? So whether it works or not is irrelevant? You know, I think that's yet to be seen, right? I mean, I think the fact that they're independent may have, I mean, they're costly. They seem to be inefficient at the moment. I don't know if your record needs to be protected independently and for everybody to see or if it's better in a large, deep database hidden somewhere, you know, on an Amazon web service, you know, protected by 20 layers of, of tech and it moves fast. I, I said it in the beginning, I don't know. I don't know if the consumer cares what's the back end ever on I anything. I agree. So I will see. So this question comes from the perspective of a 15-year-old, maybe music prodigy that's sitting at home. They watch what's happened with Billie Eilish, who seems like an older person to them. They have maybe artists or managers or labels coming after them. They see what happens on TikTok where something can go viral and all of a sudden you have a million, five million, 10 million followers. Does that 15-year-old have a chance to go direct to his customers? Does yeah. he still need help from artists, labels, record labels, managers, et cetera? In today's world, there are multiple routes. In the old days, the other routes were less viable. I call it like Google Maps. In the old days, you only had freeways, and you couldn't see the local roads. And you had Thomas Guides. And the direct-to-consumer, you can see the local roads. You can go direct in a different way, right? That's a metaphor. So part of it is how well do you know the tech? How much time are you willing to spend on it? It's sort of what we talked about before. The whole thing of artists direct, which are the creator era, creator's era, which is all of this, is about people bypassing traditional platforms and just going direct onto the new platforms or going direct to consumer or both. And they're multi-channel. And, and so my point is it really at this point in time is dependent on how savvy they are, mm. how good they are managing the tech, how many platforms write once published multiple content strategies. Do they still make albums? Do they only write songs? Do they know how to connect with their consumer? Can they talk to them? Can they be on camera? Do they want to stream? Do they want to develop products? Do they? And so there's a lot in this and it's customizable. So when you have an enabling one technology like GarageBand or Pro Tools, people have to learn how to use it. It's technical, and then it's their expression. I feel proud because I know what both of those things are. Which is big. Yeah. These new tools that you may not know in a variety of categories is like walking in and having to pick up a whole bunch of different pieces of software, and they all do different things. They're not interoperable. There's no systems and metrics data. I think it's hard. So the 15-year-old has to have some understanding of what they're doing or their people do, right? Or you can not get anywhere. If things are exploding and you put content directly onto YouTube or TikTok or Spotify or any of those, it's a choice. You know, when you think about CRM, I said it before, artists aren't consumer marketers. So you're asking questions that are very important but the answers aren't simple. They're, they're tuned by the savvy skill, interest, all of that, mastery of the tech, da-da-da-da-da. I know a lot of people who can't figure out a TV remote control. 
and they're being asked to do sophisticated software across 20 platforms. I don't know the answer to that question. I would advise no, okay? But it depends on who they are. How does an artist look at Spotify or Apple Music or whatever? I've read that artists earn like 0.001 cents per stream. Mm -hmm and they're not getting enough of their share. Are they now happy because Spotify and Apple Music are big enough that they're getting meaningful dollars? Because no. we saw this change, right? It used to be records, tape, CDs, and then the music went into the shit for like 10 years, right? Just dropping, dropping, dropping. And then five, eight years ago, it started coming back, and it came back because of streaming. Here's the answer. Okay. Just because all the music is available doesn't mean the system works for all the artists, okay? Old Tower Records would have 10,000 albums. How many... Artists and tracks to Spotify have? How many billion? Millions so, and billions, okay. yep. So when they talk about 96% of the people don't make that much money, well, if there was 50 billion records at Tower Records, they never get looked at, all right? Right. So you're dealing with library issues. The streamers pay about 70% of everything they charge, but it's a function of how much they can charge the consumer. So if it's $9.99 or 10 bucks or whatever it is or less than that, that gets split. And there's some arguing over how the money is split up. All right, right now it's split up based on what people, what the collective listens to. Um, and it's something like they get their pro rata share yes, of how that's many exact, times their that's song ex was that's played. That's exactly right. Okay. And a bunch of artists think it doesn't work for them, and it doesn't economically because they don't stream enough. Simple. And the stream rate is low. It's not wrong. It's just low because it's the nature of it because right. the consumer price is only 10 bucks or so. And that will go up and it'll improve it, but, you know, as I said before, it's a base layer. Not everybody makes money off the base layer. Artists didn't make money off radio before. Artists didn't make money off MTV before, except for some few small, you know, statutory but it starts. Put but, them on a platform. But that's the same thing as Spotify, and people think of it differently. You right. can also earn money. YouTube got accused of not paying out enough, and that's also a promotional platform. So you, these things are combinations. The new wave is a combination, just like advertising. You could get an affiliate fee. You could get a rev share. You couldn't do that on television or radio. So all of these are better than the old system. They're not going to make everybody rich, okay? They're based on different things. If you're on Instagram or if you had a YouTube rev share, if people didn't watch your videos, you're not going to get rich. Number two, okay. the opportunity is to find out who your fans are and now monetize them. And that's what you were asking before. That's that creator's era. Correct. If you don't have your music available or your videos available, you just make it harder to find, right? Just like search results. If they don't come up, that's why people pay for search optimization. So there's a lot to this, but the stage we're at, it's like a teenager. Spotify is like a teenager in the streaming services. They're not as big as they will be. And people are fig trying to figure out how to make money on those platforms. They're also going to start making money off-platform, and maybe Spotify will offer more services to, for them to better monetize. So they don't, may not make that much on streaming, but they might make more on other things. That's the era we're in. So most people couldn't do what I'm saying, but if you could raise unlimited money right now to build something that would be done in five years, mm -hmm. is there a direction you would go? I'm not talking about the company you're currently doing. I'm saying... Somebody starting right now from scratch with unlimited money, interested in the convergence of tech and music, like where should they focus? I think everything you're hitting on, first of all, it would be what I'm doing and I'm excited about it because I thought about it just like that. So I have a view of why I'm doing what I'm doing. Okay. And it's, it's for the moment, right? And I believe in it. But you asked me, what would I do if I had money? So the real answer you're is saying what I'm doing? I would do, number one, what I'm doing. Okay. Number two, I would start another version of Artist Direct 
or invest in the creator's era, which piece of it, whether it was TuneCore, whether it was, as you know, there was a whole lot of roadkill and companies on the side of the road and they they song kick and this and that. And hundreds of millions or billions of dollars lost. Yeah, exactly. And getting which piece of it or how big and where to be is a big guessing game, but it's interesting, right? I personally think the streamers have a great advantage. I think the big platforms have a big advantage. You know, the big promoters have a big advantage. A lot of the people that have scale and can invest in real technologies and really do things right. Remember, this is the music business, not the tech business, which could have invested. It was music business, low margins. I think they all are well positioned. I'm actually excited to see who, who wins and what moves are made from here forward. Sure. But I think the creator is going to be exciting. It's going to make sure that a lot more content gets to people. Just one thing back on, we talked about Spotify and they're not going to get rich on Spotify, but... Well, a lot of people are, so you got to be, you know, it's a complex answer again. I think the people can indirectly get rich on Spotify if they get enough exposure and they do live performances and merch and all that stuff. I think that's why I call it the base layer. I keep saying base layer, base layer. It's a, And I think it's early in the base layer and what tools it has. You know, if we were talking about, again, if it's tech... If you think back to what an Apple operating system used to allow you to do. The Apple II or the Mac? Or the Lisa or the I S, have all, or the, I have or all the, the 2SE. Yes. Or the SE. I think it was the SE. I was don't the have first. an SE. But. I think that was the first one. My point is both the applications and the operating system were very limiting of what it allowed you to do. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of that is what we're talking about here with the Spotify's and the others. Uh, you know, all these questions is who's going to build in with features once they have it. And when you think about early Amazon versus early Facebook versus and what features it had in it versus what it has now, it's amazingly built out, right? And then are. So I think that's going to be taking place now. Got it. So tell me how that first music group you signed to work on the artist direct platform was the rolling stones it was norman perry who was their long-term merchandiser and he worked alongside their tour promoter michael cole and mick jagger i knew this because i was reading a lot about tech was a bit of a tech guy and he really enjoyed it loved the internet he was into cricket and he could watch his cricket through the internet because they didn't broadcast on television right it was one of the many things mid-90s yeah and so Norman, Norman was fascinated by all of this. And I told him about e-commerce and where it was going to go. And he was a merchandiser for years, frustrated by how you could sell music merchandise. And he had brands like the Stones and Pink Floyd, and they were limited in where they could be sold. And they were actually mass brands. If you think about the tongue, it's a mass brand. It could sure. sell anywhere. Sure. So It's on clothing. It's on everything. It is, but it didn't have distribution, okay, so or a good distribution. And music merch typically didn't. So... I was the first guy in his ear about e-commerce. He said, I'll set you up with Mick in a meeting, pitch him. And Mick was in L.A. I got, took a meeting with Jagger in his hotel suite. That's got to be one of those it's memories. One of many. It's one of many. It was incredible. He's incredible. What was he like? Super smart, smart sharp, brilliant, decisive. Business person. Business mind. And obviously a genius and creative and all of it. But whip fucking smart and on it. And subsequently, I've talked to him a bunch since. And, and he's, he's <laughs> listen... There's a bunch of reasons they're the Rolling Stones. That's one of them, okay? I can promise you. Anyway, they said go. We did a lot with them and with the other artists because we were the only game in town anyway, the only ones who understood us, speak to speak, and had a... And we built the first website and e-commerce store. This was you and Mick making the deal and his... Well, well, through Norman and, yeah, I mean, ultimately Mick's in control of everything and says yes or no. And we did all the e-commerce, and then we did it for everyone else. And, you know, we created Stones Direct, and, you know, we had 
huge success given how early e-commerce was in general at Even that time. Even the internet at the time. Yeah. Still so, on so, 28 modems. But I think it speaks to why music is so successful online. The demand for all of the product, whether it's the music or the t-shirts or the tickets, when you free up the distribution, you make it, bring it to the consumer, it's going to go, right? So that sort of was the original thesis. Right. So I've purchased probably six vinyl records in the last year. There was a 30-year spell where I purchased no vinyl <laughs> records and hated the tick, 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 tick you hear on the songs. Is this like special editions for fans and it doesn't really sell that many? Is it just No, a, it's hot. You think it's going to get bigger, vinyl? It's big. They can't even make enough. You know, the vinyl, they, they, all the vinyl manufacturers shut down and then the vinyl demand surged and there's not enough people to make it. It's like classic cars. It's a growing industry, even though it's old. So that's how I'd say it. There's now, I have my record collection from when I'm 10, which includes I gave, Beatles albums. And I gave mine away and I had thousands. And I, and did, I have all my computers. You probably gave yours away too. I gave all. I, listen, I, did, I, I was a less is more and I was so digital that I didn't want an analog trace around. Got it. The answer to you is obviously you like the hiss and you like the warmth. There was an audio fidelity gap. A lot of people like the tactile, the package, the this, that. I, I think it's a perfect example of the music store has to be stocked with all kinds of products. New, old, communication, access, digital, VIP, high end, low end, this end, that end. And we're at the 10-yard line of people understanding that. Got it. And you talk about Tower Records. Mm -hmm. So Tower Records only had 10,000, but I could actually sort through them. How do I find that 15-year-old kid that just got signed and he's on Spotify? Isn't there a discovery problem still? There was a discovery problem before that 15-year-old kid didn't have access to the existing system. No access, so, yeah. So Google had the same problem. Didn't they have to organize the world's information? Because so much became available, right? Sure. So it's the same issue. You have now gazillions and gazillions of pieces of content, whether it's on YouTube, Spotify, or any service. I think the world's organizational problems in all these libraries, whether it's video library and audio library, YouTube, Splice, it's like what Google had, it's search. So how content makes its way to you, the personalization, the filtering, the algorithms, the playlist, whatever, it's evolving too. But the answer is you'll never find a 15-year-old because you don't have enough time and there's much more content. There's about as much in the numbers is okay, what I would okay, say. Okay. So I always end with this. Name of the podcast is Tech Versus Media, Convergence or Clash. Which do you think it is? Is it a convergence or a clash? It's both. And I think that the rights and the things I talked about, the consumer and the artist or not wanting to just be a market machine creates the clash. Got it. I think technologists typically want everything to converge, right? The connected home. Sure. Usually it sucks. So that's, you know. I have so one, I think it's both. Yeah. All right, Mark. Well, thank you so much for coming today. I know you're busy with Save Live and everything else that you do. I really appreciate your time and insights and stories. My Super pleasure. interesting. I learned stuff about you I didn't know, which is great. Thanks again for your time and all of your thoughts today. Here are my final thoughts. Today's episode with Mark was great. Not only does he know so much about the music industry, which I knew, but about entertainment. Of course, hearing about his experience with Trent Reznor, the Rolling Stones, his founding of Lollapalooza was all fascinating. But as much as I've known Mark for 25 years and I, smart as I know he is, he hit on a couple things that were well beyond music. 
that really show that he still has his finger on the pulse of entertainment. One is he talks so specifically about the time that we're in now that's just started that we're going to see over the next few years is really the growth of the creator economy. And he talked about it beyond just music artists, and we're seeing it with TikTok influencers and YouTube influencers and all of these people who now have a platform and a way to reach an audience. And we're going to see an explosion in this creator economy in the next year or two. And I think he was spot on for that. And the other was, you know, I questioned myself, do I really care about live concerts anymore if I can stream them into my home? And he made the point and actually did it in a way that hit home for me that the live music experience is actually not really about seeing the artist live as much as it is about being in a stadium of 10 or 20 or 30 or 50 or 100,000 people who love that same band, who sing that same song. But being with other people who love what you love is an experience. It made me think of the time I took my daughter to see Coldplay at the Rose Bowl, which seats about 100,000 people. And Coldplay gives out these wristbands at their concerts. And those wristbands light up different colors as they sing their songs. And not only are you watching your favorite band, not only are you sitting next to your child, but you're looking around at 100,000 lights of purple, blue, yellow, red. And that is not an experience that you'll ever be able to replicate sitting in your home. So he convinced me that live does matter. Live will come back. Live will always matter. If you enjoyed today's episode, and I sure hope you did, Please subscribe. Even better, take two or three minutes and write a review and talk about why you liked today's episode. The episode is produced and edited by Kirk Co. Media. AJ Mosley is my producer. Until next time, this is Richard Wolf.